Welcome to Job Tales, the show where we find out about different professions from the people who know. Each week I speak to a new guest with a very interesting job. I'm Laura Leoncini and today my guest is Chitao, founder and investor. Now, at school or university, nobody really teaches us how to become entrepreneurs, yet many of us choose the route of entrepreneurship. So where can we get the skills and be good at it? Chitao tells us his own story as a serial entrepreneur and gives us some good advice on how to aim for successful ventures. Chitao, thank you so much for being my guest at Job Tales. It's an honor because you're, you have so much to, to say and to tell us about your job. And, and you are... Uh, i would say, am I correct to say a serial entrepreneur? You're very experienced in entrepreneurship. And this is what I would like to focus on today, your experience and um, how you got to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Very happy to be here. Great. So let's start uh, from your, let's say, earlier years, you know, when you, you were telling me just before the interview that, you know, when you, since you were young a much younger man you 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 were really thriving and you were looking for entrepreneurial ideas and actions can you tell me a little bit about that you know what was your thrive i would say ever since i was young i had this urge to build businesses or make money of some some sort i think a lot of it came from my roots since we moved here to the us as immigrants and we didn't have much money right so mm. we lived off food stamps and I wore secondhand clothing. So in the back of my mind, I was always thinking to myself, how could I make a little bit more money? Mm -hmm. um, when I was in elementary school, I bought and resold Pokemon cards uh, at a profit. Middle school, I bought and resold candy and soda as a, at a profit. And then in college, I did more, I would say moonshot ideas. We had one startup called Simplex Sciences And that one sold single-stranded DNA ladder. I worked with my professor on that one. Mm. Uh, that one is still around. And then the other one, which is not around, is Ferno. And that one was a music discovery startup mm. where you would be able to actually pin music to geolocations. Funny enough, we considered our main competitor at that time Musical.ly, which was acquired by ByteDance and became TikTok. So oh, maybe okay. if I tried a little bit harder, I could have had more success there. <laughs> okay. So it's it's interesting. You say there are some some ideas um, that continued and some that faded. What, what is the ratio and what, how do you find the motivation to continue knowing that, you know, some of these ideas will be, you know, going down into a deep, forgetting drawer and then the others will be successful how do you how do you choose yeah absolutely i mean i think as someone uh, who's always thinking about business ideas I, i have like maybe 10 to 20 ideas in a given mm. month or so and i always have to put them in my notebook and put them in a drawer otherwise i just get distracted right but how yeah. do you pick the best ones i look at it pretty straightforward you know we try and look for an area that It's not too hard on the technical level. So I'm not developing semiconductor chips, for example, and has the ability to drive a good scale, meaning I don't need to invest a lot of capital expenditures or money into actually getting the business off the ground. And then the rest of it is really looking around us and what the competitive landscape looks like. 
I try and find an area that is a little bit less competitive, Mm -hmm. meaning I feel like I have a business edge in regards to operations and finance that I could really leverage to make a successful business. Just to give you an example of a very competitive environment. So I used to work in a hedge fund at 0.72 as a, an analyst and investor. Mm-hmm. Now that is probably as competitive as it gets because you're working with a lot of Ivy League grads, people who have devoted their lives to analyzing companies in the stock market. And yeah. uh, you're just scraping by a little bits of alpha or returns here and there. But I try and find, I try for businesses, I try and find businesses where I think I could get big swaths of alpha or returns with a little bit less work. Okay. For the layman, what is big swaths of alpha? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, alpha in very simply, alpha is basically value that is collected that basically is like profits, right? For example, if I just invest in the S&P 500 or the the general stock market, that's Mm -hmm. beta. So I'm just going around with the general stock market. Alpha is what can you get in terms of returns on top of what the general stock market returns. Okay. And so you have a a certain preference or um, competence in, um, in, in in the finance world, right? Is there something that came since the early days? Um, what did you study actually when you were at college? Yeah, actually, I didn't have any finance background until oof, probably after college. So mm-hmm. a little bit of background or building blocks to lay the groundworks of yeah. kind of how I got to where I am. I grew up in Rochester, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. It's a small town. The only thing we're known for is that the Mayo Clinic was originally founded in Rochester, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And because of that, everyone in the town basically worked at the Mayo Clinic. So growing up, I thought, okay, if I want to be successful or if, you know, looking around who has very simply, who has like a bigger house, it's the doctors, right? Mm -hmm. And because of that, I put a lot of energy into doing biological research. So I did a bunch of like cancer research in high school, and then I studied uh, molecular and cellular biology at Yale. Mm-hmm. But during the whole time, like I said, that entrepreneurial itch never left, right? Yeah. So I was always doing startups on the side. And it wasn't until I became a life sciences consultant, my first job after graduation, that I really dug into the finance world. I had a lot of opportunities to build models at that job, which set me up really well to become a hedge fund analyst at Point72, which was my last job. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really critical is you quickly understand when you break down a business to its numbers, break it down very quantitatively, you quickly see that there are levers that you can pull and push that allow you to drive revenue, margin, et cetera. So you break down a very complex business organism down to little bits and pieces. It's a lot more digestible and it really helps you really operate a business well. Does it always boil down to numbers for a successful business? I wouldn't say so. Every entrepreneur and every founder is different. Some have bigger goals. Some are looking to do some really moonshot ideas and you really can't put numbers around that, right? 
And for those folks, I think the biggest and most critical feature um, as a founder is being able to verbalize your idea and convince people to back you both on an investor and an employee level um, so that you can make those dreams a reality. For me, I go about it a little bit differently, right? Mm -hmm. We take incremental steps of innovation on top of products that already exist. And I believe that is a good opportunity for me because people don't really see these opportunities as all that sexy. And because Mm -hmm. of that, we're able to innovate where no one else will. And we're able to break things down into numbers, which I am, you know, good at and leverage that as a competitive edge. Okay. So the, let's say the, the, the recipe for a successful entrepreneur or for a successful idea would be, you, you're mentioning uh, competitive, being in a less competitive area, other key elements that, that you would say? Like I said a little bit earlier, I think lower CapEx is always lower better CapEx. capital expenditures. Yeah. Um, because you can then fail more frequently without being really set back, right? So if an entrepreneur is building software, all they need to know is really how to code. They can put a product out there, maybe spend a hundred bucks on ads to see if people like it and use it, right? But for an entrepreneur looking to build the next quantum computer, well, that's going to cost a pretty penny, right? Mm -hmm. And... uh, that doesn't allow you to fail very many times. I know a founder who was building basically a semiconductor chip that's run by light. But the issue is he only had maybe three shots on goal to make it work, and that was over the course of four years. And if it didn't work, then, you know, the company's done. So Mm. it's a lot more challenging. Anything else that you would uh, you would say is important for uh, you know establishing a successful base? I would say just make sure that you're building a business that you're really passionate about and leverages your skill set. Because I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas, and a lot of people who have those ideas only very few actually put them into action. And the reason why very few people put them into action is because it's a good idea, but it doesn't really align with their skill set or it doesn't really align with their interests. And typically those ideas will fizzle out um, pretty quickly. So I think really just being intelligent about writing down all your ideas, crossing off the ones that really don't make sense and then going after the ones that you think you have a good number of shots on goals and a good shot at, I think it's, it's always, it's always best. And then I would also say like, for an example, Ferno, the music startup that I was working on, mm-hmm. I listened to a lot of music, but I wasn't passionate about music, not the same way a person, a musician is. And we were working with a lot of musicians, for example, more yeah. indie musicians. I couldn't, speak on their level. I couldn't align with them as well. And that ultimately, you know, impacted the level of success we were going to have. So that's a, that's an example that always comes to mind for me. Now you are the founder and CEO of Charge Blast. Can you tell me a bit more about Charge Blast? Charge Blast, to put it very simply, is a way to help merchants who sell goods and services 
prevent their dispute rates from going too high and being at risk of being kicked off of their payment processor, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is basically an existential risk for merchants because if you don't have a payment processor, you can't take money. And if you can't take money, ultimately you don't have a business, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So we leverage existing tools and services and we develop on top of them in order to provide a platform that's both self-serve and automated, which really helps us differentiate ourselves from the pack. It's a commodity space, but um, I believe our technical development as well as our marketing and branding has done a very nice job into creating a little moat around this business. Nice. So if I want to now apply your your you know experience and ideas to that. So let's say that's one it was one of the twenty ideas that you had in your drawers, right? The charge blast. Yeah. Why did you pick this one? What were the characteristics that you thought would be would make it a success? I think to lay some groundwork, I'll I'll tell you a little bit about how we actually even thought of the idea. Yeah. Right. So we were once upon a time a merchant. We sold a B to C Gen AI subscription platform that allowed folks to leverage Gen AI for their work. And because of the customers we targeted with that business, we had a lot of chargebacks. The customers didn't have all that much money and they were more they more lean towards charging back than even reaching out to our support team and asking for a refund. So we had a chargeback problem, mm-hmm. friendly fraud, basically. And from there, we had to find a solution. So we looked around the ecosystem. There were a lot of players. All of them really seemed the same. And we tested one out. Unfortunately, the issue was the player that we used, even though they were established, they were not able to solve our problem because we were using a new platform. We were using Stripe. A lot of these players haven't actually engaged with companies that are on Stripe. And that mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Right. So we quickly realized, all right, we're still having problems even with the existing players. Let's build a solution that is able to drive this product in a more tech forward manner and also provide white glove service because when a merchant has chargeback problems, it's existential, right? You're freaking out. You want answers. (laughs) We weren't receiving email responses for at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we didn't like that at all as a merchant. So we got into the business really focusing on the technical integration aspect as well as white glove client service. And with that, it really took off because it resonated with a lot of folks on Stripe as well as other payment processors, because we cared, right? We cared. We were once merchants. We understand we were in their shoes. So we cared and we provided really great service to our clients. Awesome. So there was a need. It was an issue. There was a need and then you tested. You know, these these sequences and these trials and errors, uh, do you think that the the academic environment today, you know, a college, for example, allows us to nurture that and to exercise on that so that those who like you are, have the entrepreneur soul can actually thrive better in the future? Or do you think there's a gap? I would certainly say there's a gap. So I have a lot of opinions around education. Mm -hmm. Please go ahead. (laughs) Share with us. Sure, I can I can share some of those opinions. So, growing up, you know, I have an 
Chinese uh, heritage, and obviously grades mattered a lot, right? Mm. And I went to a very good public school in Rochester, and obviously I went to Yale then after, which is a very good school. Yeah. And in every part of my education, I was awarded with only doing the job correctly, right? Doing assignments, getting 100%, getting A's, et cetera. Mm. There's really no room for failure in our educational system. Right. And it develops a an environment where you become a very good employee, but you don't become a very good entrepreneur, right? If you look at education and if you look at employment, it's very similar. So for example, you need to get A's. You need to follow instructions to the T, right, in school. It's the same thing in employment. You have to do a very good job in order to get promoted. You have to follow what your boss says. But it's a very bad thing for entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship, you're going to have a lot of failures. Yeah. You're going to test a lot of things that are, are going to be really wrong until you find the thing that's really right and becomes a good business. That is so true. And um, you think there's there's a solution there to to allow for more entrepreneurial entrepreneurship promotion? you know, in yeah. the, within the educational system. Is there a solution? I believe there is, but I believe it depends on the society, right? It depends on the country, right? Yeah. Some countries are more nurturing of entrepreneurship, some are not. I think the U.S. probably falls in the not-so-nurturing bucket mm. um, just because we're such a large nation and there's a lot of employment demands and the government tells us to succeed, Right. We'll give you the loans and the money to get a college degree, whatever degree, right? Irrespective of the returns that you get from, from that degree. And with most educational uh, institutions, right? It's like I said, the same, same issue. It's you need to get A's in order to get a good resume, a good GPA. You need to get internships to get that. You need a good GPA employment, right? Goes, it's kind of a cycle. Mm -hmm. I think the solution really would be if there was actually less focus on higher education and more focus on practical matters. For example, mm. personal finances, I think is a critical one, as well as just general understanding how businesses work, right? Why are we yeah. learning algebra and calculus? Honestly, I haven't used Even at my hedge fund, I don't use calculus, right? <laughs> really? I use simple arithmetics. Yeah. But we never learn the practical things in school, right? right? Mm -hmm. And I think if we are able to develop folks with a more practical mindset, they'd be more or better set to become an entrepreneur and basically be able to take the risks because they're better equipped. That's uh, th yeah. That's very very good, and it's interesting that you say uh, about uh, the states uh, maybe not being so entrepreneur focused because that I thought that you were way ahead than uh, us in Italy, for example. <laughs> like for example, I studied communication sciences and marketing, and then they never taught us how to make a budget, and right. I had to learn it on the field when I got my first job. That's okay. Right. If I had known how to make a budget, I would have been able to use it much sooner and have uh, also more tools on how right. to do budget, right? As, a, as an example. Now, you were saying about, you know, using some of the stuff that you studied. Now, you study molecular biology, right? In, at Yale? Yes, correct. 
Have you used that in your profession? My first job, yes. So I used it for about two years, right?、Mm-hmm. I studied for four years, and then I used it for two years, and I never really used the details of it again. However, I will say the one thing I learned from biology,、um, at least with my degree, is that there are processes, step by step processes that happen within your body that make everything work, right? And the ability to break down a business into the same step-by-step processes and understanding all the stakeholders and players in an ecosystem. Yeah, I think that actually stems from my biology degree and being able to break down basically very complex systems in more、um, digestible、mm. manners. Interesting. So you are using your studies from from college years,、uh, after all. Even if it's、yes. not exactly the fundamentals, the, the fundamentals, fundamentals, not the details. Yeah.、Yes. And why did you choose molecular biology at first? Yeah, good question. So, like I said, I thought being a doctor was、uh, going into college. I thought being a doctor was the best and only thing that you could really do. I、mm-hmm. didn't realize there was a whole world of business that's you know strategy consulting, investment banking, hedge fund. Corporate strategy, corporate development. I never realized any of those things existed because they didn't exist in Rochester, Minnesota.、Mm-hmm. So when I went to college, I was exposed to more of those pieces of the business world, and I think that really allowed me to find new opportunities to explore. What do you think that young a young man, a young young women? Who have this sort of impasse, you know, like have difficulty understanding what they want to do because they they just not propose. They, people don't propose to them the stuff that they could be really good at or they they would have preferences for. How does bridges gap? What do you advise、yeah. them to do? I think my biggest piece of advice is when you're in college or even high school, actually, don't be set on one path. Right, a lot of kids from high school they say I want to be a doctor. In college they say I want to be a doctor, and then they're actually doctors. And then they, some of my friends who are doctors, reach back to me and said, I wish I had explored other routes. Right, don't be stuck down one path because you really don't know what you like until you do it, and you probably don't know what you like when you're in high school. Right. So my biggest piece of advice is during internships, try out a whole host of opportunities. Right, try out some marketing, try out some communications, try out some finance, and then you'll figure out which skill sets you like the most and that you are more naturally inclined to, and you'll be able to discover a much more fulfilling path much faster than if you don't. And Hopefully, you don't go down a route of a career too far where you actually have regret in、um, taking that career path. And talking about uh, uh, skills required, you know, you being an entrepreneur, what would you say are the main skills that you use and or that someone should have in order to be a successful entrepreneur? And by successful, I don't mean that it's always successful enterprises, but it, it, like to have that. Mindset that allows you that to be resilient、uh, for for future. So the skills of a successful founder or entrepreneur, I think, right? If you break it up into soft and hard skills, I think for soft skills, 
being able to network, being able to connect with people is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Having empathy is very important because you need to convince people to join your company. You need to convince people to invest in your company. You need to convince customers to trust you, take a leap of faith with you because you have a new product that you believe will help them, right? Mm -hmm. So having empathy and good personal relationship skills, I think is very critical on the soft skill side. On the hard skill side, I would say being able to, like I said, understand how a business functions on a quantitative level, I think is very important. Mm -hmm. When you're building a product that's software, you're going to have much higher margins than if you are building a product that is hardware. If you're building a product that is commoditized, you're going to have much lower margins than if you're building a product that is more patent protected or has a greater moat, right? And not enough people think about this from the get-go because they just want to build a product. Mm. But you want to build a product that ultimately can still be thriving in 10 years. You don't want to be building a product that will never be able to thrive on its own without venture funding, Mm. right? It kind of defeats the purpose of building a business if you can't make money and you require money to even keep the business going, right? So understanding how different businesses and uh, work and their basically financial profile at Mm. the beginning, I think is very important from a quantitative side. Yeah. And that's a homework right there that you can do to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. No, awesome. Well, thank you, Chi. It was really, really interesting. And thank you for in- your insight. And uh, I'm happy that we met and I'm happy that you could share your, your experience and your life. And I, I'm sure that you have inspired quite a few on, on this Jobtail podcast. And I wish you all the best for the future. Yes, thank you for this opportunity um, to share my background. Very excited to uh, hear what people have to say. Yeah, for sure. And I will uh, I'll link also your, you know, on the social media, your profile so that people can follow you or maybe reach out to you if they have questions uh, if, whenever you have time. That'll be great. Yep. Fantastic. That was Chi Tao, founder and investor at multiple companies. I invite you to write a comment or a rating on your favorite podcast player. It will help me improve my next episodes. And you can also write me directly at jobtailspodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, see you next week for the next episode of Job Tales.